Welcome to Artworks, the weekly podcast produced at the National Endowment for the Arts. I'm Josephine Reed. Memorial Day gives us all a chance to honor our veterans and to listen to their experiences and concerns. Later on in the show, we'll hear from Sebastian Younger, whose recent book, Tribe, looks at the profound sense of loss many veterans feel when they leave the military. But first, a look at a program created by the National Endowment for the Arts with the Department of Defense and the Department of Veterans Affairs. Creative Forces, NEA Military Healing Arts Network, supports creative arts therapies for service members with traumatic brain injury and associated psychological health issues at 11 clinical sites around the country. The NEA's partnership with the DOD dates back to 2004, when Operation Homecoming, Writing the Wartime Experience, was created by the NEA for U.S. troops and their families. In 2011, the NEA Military Healing Arts Partnership was launched when the National Intrepid Center of Excellence at Walter Reed, known as the NICO, invited the NEA to help build out its creative arts therapy program. The following year, Fort Belvoir in Virginia invited the NEA to replicate that program in their new care facility. And then in 2016, under the leadership of Chairman Jane Chu, the NEA expanded its military healing arts program and launched Creative Forces. Chairman Jane Chu. Well, this Creative Forces initiative has been so satisfying and meaningful in so many different ways, uh, specifically uh, the opportunity to expand the military healing arts therapy program uh, to communities across the nation, and we're so very appreciative of Congress giving us uh, increases to be able to do that. So now we've moved from the two sites, the original sites in um, Maryland and Virginia, to uh, 10 other places, which does include a telehealth component. But the reason it's been so satisfying is because, for one thing, what we hear specifically from our service members and veterans uh, who are participating in this program. When service members say they get to create art, uh, they also get to manage their stress, and they talk about their memory being more enhanced. Uh, they talk about the ability to communicate more clearly, and they can even manage their physical pain better. But then we hear also in the whole system that family members and caregivers of these service members and veterans have also noticed a significant and positive change, not only in their loved one, but in the relationship they have with their loved one. So when they say that they've experienced positive results and they can communicate more and that it soothes any potential family disruption, we know that that's a benefit also for the service member as well as her or his family. And then we hear clinicians talk about how this type of process is non-invasive and that it really allows them to have their dignity as they go through this process. We think it's a win-win. Win. Larry Miller would agree. He's a physician assistant and retired Navy commander who works at the James A. Haley VA, a recent site in the Creative Forces Network. But it turns out he's no stranger to the benefits of art therapy. When he was on active duty, he was assigned to the NICO on the Walter Reed campus, the first clinical site of Creative Forces. Larry Miller. I've had the absolute privilege of working and helping establish the NICO 
I worked with Dr. Jim Kelly at Walter Reed and helped develop that program. So this is something that was near and dear to my heart. In that program, they have a fantastic art and music program. I could tell you that um, at the beginning, being um, a hard-charging emergency medicine, general surgery type guy, art therapy seemed a little fluffy to me. But I quickly became a believer when I saw some of the results and talked to some of the patients that were there, in particular, the special operations folks uh, in that community. They were able to open up in a whole nother dimension. Those observations echo what Chairman Chu has heard as she's traveled to bases in the Creative Forces Network to speak with and listen to clinicians and service members. Jane Chu. The clinicians in these very highly regarded locations, Camp Lejeune, Alaska, talked about how they saw almost a transformation almost immediately. And that speaks to what the arts can do. Uh, We uh, celebrate the arts and the wonderful products that it produces, wonderful performances and programs. And uh, what we've undersold in terms of the arts in general is that the process of creation in the arts is just as important as the product. And so the process of creating and the process of developing and cultivating what's within each of these service members who participate in the program, the clinicians there and the people there on the uh, post or the base or the military site uh, comment about how it's almost transformational, almost from the beginning. Rusty Nosner is a former Navy SEAL who experienced blast concussions and other blows to the head while he was serving in Afghanistan. After deployment, when he was experiencing some symptoms of TBI, irritability, anxiety, isolation, he was sent to the NICO for treatment. He arrived a skeptic about art therapy. I was resistant to art therapy. It took a while, you know, to kind of drop that shield a little bit, and then you realize how how effective it is and how important it is for your cognitive processes in in order to say, no, actually, it's helping me process, it's helping me focus, it's it's helping me do a lot of other things that I took for granted. And it's the kind of the tangible manifestation of what's going on in your brain. Larry Miller understands from a practitioner's viewpoint how valuable a tool art therapy can be. The challenges of taking care of mild to moderate uh, TBI patients is vast and quite enormous. I feel the arts in brain injury brings a whole nother dynamic to the picture. Rusty Nosner. Art therapy really, really spoke to me, and I know it speaks to a lot of uh, folks me with TBI. I, I don't think it's necessarily like a light bulb switching on. It's more actually like a light bulb, you know, fluttering to life. Larry Miller. They learned a lot about themselves through what they were creating in art, and it allowed the therapist to help analyze from a different perspective and tailor their care. Fantastic. An important leg in the Creative Forces program is building and supporting community-based arts programming at each of the 11 clinical sites. Jane Chu. Uh, joining up with wonderful community arts organizations in each of these communities who are going to be there to support the service member so you can have clinical and community engagement at the same time. Creative Forces is bringing state agencies and local arts organizations together with the military 
to tailor arts programming that support not just military members and veterans, but their families as well. Margie Vanderhei is executive director of the Virginia Commission for the Arts. Virginia is home to one of the first clinics in the Creative Forces Network at Fort Belvoir, as well as the most recent at Naval Special Warfare in the Hampton Roads area. One in 10 Virginians is a veteran. So we have veterans in every corner of the state. Having the Creative Forces expansion with both a clinical and community element to it, particularly in the Hampton Roads area, is going to provide for the individual service member and for his or her family that transition to continue on a path to wellness, to continue on a path to being integrated into their community. A sense of community has particular resonance for the military and their families. Community-based arts programming is essential because many of the people who are involved and benefit from it have lived in many places. For them, the sense of community is even more compelling because the great dislocation that they have sustained both in terms of the distress from deployments, whatever they may have endured in those deployments, and the reentry and reintegration into a more permanent sense of community can be a very different and difficult transition. The community-based arts programs that Creative Forces has provided really provide an asset to these families and to the community at large because the whole community benefits when the members of it feel welcome and feel integrated. It's been years since Rusty Nosner was in art therapy at the NICO, so he's had time to think about and assess its continuing value for him. I still continue to do art. Art definitely allows you to access a part of yourself that has been systematically shut off, and for good reason. It doesn't serve any purpose in combat environments, and, and I re have referred to it before as, as flipping the switch. That's essentially what, what we're doing. As you understand that you're no longer in a combat zone, you're no longer in intense scenarios where you need to make very quick, rational decisions, you can actually take a pause and figure out kind of the internal workings of what's going on uh, below the surface so that you can better understand kind of your next avenue, your next, you know, your next goal in life, you know, as you move along. Because if you don't, then you, then you really do have this kind of that's a built-up pressure. You're not able to listen to yourself at all. Um, you have to do that, and art's just a great way to do that. Larry Miller believes that the use of art therapy in treating patients with TBI will only grow. I think that the advancing therapy through the National Endowment for the Arts is a part of medicine that we are lacking in our country. I think art therapy, and, and like I said before, I was not a believer, and now I am a total believer in actually sitting here talking about it. I think it's going to add this whole nother uh, area where we're going to be able to uh, take better care of our patients. If you have to ask me from my standpoint, the future of art therapy is uh, alive well, and I think it's going to grow. Margie Vanderhei is certain that arts programming will serve as a bridge, not just to wellness, but also to fuller community engagement. The National Endowment for the Arts has had the vision and the guidance to work with state partners and recognize that both active duty and veteran populations 
can benefit tremendously, both at the clinical level and at the community level, in terms of their well-being, their reintegration through art-related programs. And I think one of the real assets of this Creative Forces expansion program is the ability to see that and to provide the avenues for people, both in civilian life and in military and veteran populations, to get there. Chairman Jane Chu. My dream is that this is only the toe in the water for what can really happen, that we can expand uh, well beyond the 12 sites where we are located now. But I think even more than that, because of the solid and substantive scientific research that's accompanying the, this Creative Forces Initiative, I really think that there will be a time where other sectors, non-art sectors, uh, non-military places will say, uh, we see that this entire environment that has been created through Creative Forces is a model of how to work together well, I think it's going to be a model for the nation in so many different ways. You can find out more about Creative Forces at arts.gov. My thanks to Larry Miller, Rusty Nosner, Margie Vanderhei, and most particularly to outgoing chairman of the National Endowment for the Arts, Jane Chu. You're listening to Artworks. I'm Josephine Reed. When we come back, author Sebastian Younger talks about the loss of belonging to a tribe that vets often feel. Welcome back to Artworks, the podcast from the National Endowment for the Arts. I'm Josephine Reed. The award-winning journalist, author, and filmmaker Sebastian Younger has made war and the people who fight in them the focus of much of his work. Not surprisingly, he has recently turned his attention to the complexities soldiers find when they return from war, most recently in his book, Tribe, on homecoming and belonging. In Tribe, Sebastian Younger notes there are primal human needs for loyalty, a sense of belonging, and a connection to something bigger than ourselves. And because service members find this connection when they're deployed, returning home can leave some 21st century combat veterans with a profound sense of loss. Add to that loss a society disengaged from the war in which these veterans fought. And according to Younger, this might account for the high percentage of service members suffering from PTSD. Sebastian Younger's book interested us greatly at the National Endowment for the Arts because of our own work through the Creative Forces program with service members suffering from PTSD. I wondered about the possible intersections between Creative Forces and the ideas that Younger offers in his book, which begins with some provocative observations about modern society. One of the ironies of wealthy modern society is that as, as wealth goes up, people have enough money, enough affluence to live more and more individualized lives, which is a great freedom for them, but it also removes their access to community. In fact, individuals don't need the community to survive, and this community doesn't need individuals in order to stay together. And uh, the whole thing is sort of subcontracted to the state and to the and to uh, corporations. And so there's a real, there's some, adva some advantages to that, but there's a real loss in human terms and sort of emotional and psychological terms. Okay, now let's, let's take that loss and bring it to the military, because while I think most of us can at least imagine the trauma of war, the ugliness and the brutality, you make the point in the book that it also can confer something else on people who fight. Yes, what we know is that 
the best, most pro-social human behaviors come out in the worst circumstances. So if you ask war reporters, you know, well, how can you stand to do this job? It's humans at their worst. It's actually humans at their best. I mean, what, what you see on a front line, you, you n never see racism. Uh, you really never see any bias according to politics or sexuality or really anything. I mean, right on the very front line, there's a profound egalitarianism that happens and a commitment to the group good, which, is, of course, is deeply embedded in our evolutionary past. And we know that when people live in tight communal situations like that, they experience really improved mental health. So you take modern society, which, of course, we know as wealth goes up in society, the suicide rate goes up, the depression rate goes up, the PTSD rate goes up, anxiety goes up, child abuse goes up, uh, violence against others goes up with wealth. So modern society is actually quite hard to live in psychologically. So let's translate that thinking specifically to the military. So for soldiers, for the purpose of soldiers, they're in a war zone if they're on a front line, which is not most soldiers. Most soldiers are not in combat, actually, but the 10% or so of our military that is actively in combat, they're subject to trauma and fear and horror and all those other things. But they're also sort of marinated in this close communal connection that is a platoon. A platoon is 30, 40, 50 men often operating in, in very close concert with each other and, and, and somewhat independently of other groups, that is our evolutionary past. We evolved to live in groups of that size, functioning pretty much like that. So they, they get to enjoy and appreciate that ancient human system of sort of communality and connection. And then whether they've been traumatized or not, and this is true of soldiers from a rear base as well, when they're taken out of that group, that sort of primordial group of 40, 50 individuals and brought back to the United States, they experience a really traumatic transition from communalism to individualism. And that is, individualism is not what we evolved for. And it's actually, for all the opportunities it offers, it's extremely hard on us psychologically. And I think a lot of PTSD, what's called PTSD, is often applied to soldiers who never saw combat, who were never traumatized. You know, most of the military was not shot at. But many of them are really suffering during this transition. And I think what they're suffering from is this very difficult transition from a close-knit communal society in their platoon, in their unit, to the sort of isolating, individualized society that we've created in this country. I think people understand that PTSD is, is an issue in the United States, but I don't think I, I certainly didn't get the extent of it, or more importantly, how unusual it is when one looks at other countries. Yes. I mean, if you talk to the Peshmerga fighters in, in Iraq and Syria, uh, they have no idea what PTSD is. Like in Israel, there's mandatory military service in Israel, and as a result, the PTSD rate among veterans is 1% in Israel. Um, in our country, it's 20%. And keep in mind, only 10% of the military actually sees any combat. And our PTSD rate is 20%. It's double what the, even the combat rate is. That's bizarre. And it's not that American soldiers are less tough than other people or whatever. It's nothing like that. It is, I think, um, just evidence of the fact that if you're traumatized, we are wired as a species, we're wired to overcome trauma. I mean, if a large percentage of people were psychologically incapacitated by trauma, by a lion attacking the encampment, and effectively became wards of the state afterwards, the human race wouldn't exist, right? Of course, we recover from trauma. We have to. So what's happening in America right now, um, uh, enormous numbers of, of veterans are being put on basically lifelong disability because they feel that they were traumatized. But there's something very real going on here 
the thing that I think a lot of them are traumatized by is having to give up this close, interconnected, very, very loyal human community that they were in during this incredibly intense part of their lives, having to give that up and, you know, return to the great American suburb. To add to this, to exacerbate it, such a small percentage of people in the United States are actually in the military, and a very large percentage don't even know anybody who's yeah. who serves. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, and, you know, it's not just the military. You know, I, I own a car. The car runs on gasoline. I don't know anyone that works in an oil field. Uh, likewise, logging. I mean, my house is made out of wood. I mean, somebody cut those trees down. I fished the other night. Somebody caught that. So, and no, I mean, none of us know any of these people. And so in a small-scale communal tribal society, you would know everyone engaged in producing the things that you need in order to survive. You would know those people personally. Even if not personally, you would appreciate their hard work, their dangerous work. In a complex, modern, technology-heavy society, people don't know personally anyone in any of the industries that they survive, that, that allow them to live. And that, I mean, you know, that, that's because we're very lucky to live in a kind of society like this. I mean, I'm not saying it's a bad thing, but there is a downside. And the military is one of those industries, and it is an industry where very few people know anyone in it, even though they depend on it to protect their country. You know what it's like to return from a war zone because you've done it so many times. What, what do you find within yourself? What did you find when you returned? When I was doing my work overseas with American soldiers, I also affiliated with this group and also had a very hard time giving it up. And I was enormously depressed afterwards, partly because I had grown to psychologically need that group. I didn't know it was happening. I wouldn't didn't think it was that was going to happen. But that's my only explanation for the really difficult emotions that I had over there when I came back. And, you know, I wasn't particularly traumatized when I was with those guys. We were in some firefights, but it wasn't, that wasn't the problem. It was giving up that group. And it, and, and, and really, I was quite a mess when I came back. There's no evolutionary wiring that allows you to like gracefully transition from being a valued part of a close group to just being on your own. That is not something where we've evolved for. And it clearly is very hard for us and dangerous to do. People are prone to depression, to suicide. They're prone to high rates of PTSD. People do not do well on their own. And that's what the society has created is 350 million people that are basically individuals that are not affiliated with close communities. I don't know how much you know about Creative Forces, the initiative that is led by the National Endowment for the Arts in partnership with the Department of Defense and the Department of Veterans Affairs. And... It offers creative arts therapies to military patients, and it's found that, in fact, the arts really have been very helpful in, 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 in easing those traumas. Right. Yeah, that's, that's right. I mean, the National Endowment for the Arts has been so committed to working with service members and does, has done such an incredible job with them. I mean, I think creative expression is enormously beneficial. I think it's empowering. I think the process of writing of making music, of making art, theater, is enormously empowering. So instead of feeling like you're subjected to emotions that you can't control, that you don't understand, I think what happens with artistic expression is that you're using those emotions and now the tables have turned and actually, instead of being subjected to them, you are employing those feelings. You're doing, you're creating something constructive with them. And I think that, that for someone who's suffering 
from grief from the loss of a partner or loss of a you know brother or sister in combat or or depression or PTSD or what have you. I think it's enormously beneficial to have that kind of outlet. Well, you know, military patients, veterans who suffer from PTSD or traumatic brain injury, I mean, obviously their families suffer as well. And often it's through art, in fact, that service members can tell their stories and communicate with their families. Yeah, that's, that's right. I mean, using art, using music, using any creative force like that to express one's emotional experience, spiritual experience, can be life-saving. I mean, I think it's absolutely essential. And it's, you know, and frankly, it's one way for people to make a statement to protect something that's sacred. And the community is sacred. The nation is sacred. And it really will be up to, it's up to all of us. And it's up to, particularly up to veterans to to protect that sacred thing. Yeah, I'm thinking about the issues you detail in your book. And one other thing, a newer component to creative forces is bringing local artists in to work in conjunction with art therapists, with service members, with their families, in part to really create an expressive local community for service members. It really does help create community. Uh, Absolutely. I mean, the act of expressing your experience to a group that wants to understand what you went through and values your your existence, that is ancient. It's extremely valuable. And so I, one of the things I did in researching my book, Tribe, was to look at some of the processes, the, some of the ritual processes, some of the ceremoni- ceremonies that Native American tribes in this country, in the United States, would do to reincorporate returning warriors back into the, into the community. And these, these ceremonies are still done. And really interesting, Native Americans comprise the largest percentage of the U.S. military by population. In other words, there are more, a higher percentage of Native Americans are in the armed forces than of any other population group, any other demographic in this country. And they have some of the lowest rates of PTSD. So what would happen is that people would come back and I talked to some guys that were in the 173rd Airborne that I was over there with who, who were Native American and from Oklahoma and they and Texas, and they came back and went through this process um, where basically the community gathered and they had a, a dance, a ritual, and the veterans would dance and sing and tell the story of their deployment. And that's absolutely ancient. This is something that's been going on for centuries. And the context has changed. It's not the old mm-hmm. days with the buffalo and the teepees and whatever. But it doesn't matter. The point is that you, you get to tell your community what you did for them. And they get to participate in the moral burden and the celebration, the moral burden of conducting war and killing other people and the celebration of your, your bravery and your accomplishments and the grief at losing, at losing people. The community gets to participate in all of that and share it. And that's very healthy for both sides of the equation. And it's up to us to listen to veterans. Yeah. In tribes, you mentioned that the Papago Indian tribe thought war was nuts. Insane. Insane. But when it came time and they had to fight, the people who fought, they gained a kind of wisdom through yeah. that experience. Do you think this is true for the people fighting today? Uh, yes. I mean, I think anyone who confronts death gains wisdom. 
And I think that's also true of people who've been very ill. If they survive, they come back from their disease with a, with a, a wisdom um, that, you know, other people don't have and won't have till much later in their lives. And uh, likewise for soldiers, uh, some soldiers, not all soldiers. I mean, some people are just doing a job in a rear base and they're really not engaged in war except in a very conceptual sense. But people that are really seeing death, risking death, uh, yes, they do have a, a special wisdom and it, it, and it is a kind of sacred knowledge. And traditional tribal societies understand that and use it. They protect it and they use it and they honor it. Sebastian, thank you. My pleasure. I really, really enjoy talking to you. Uh, it's a real pleasure speaking with you and really doing anything that I can to, to support what you're doing. I think it's incredibly important to the nation. That's author and filmmaker Sebastian Younger. His most recent book is called Tribe on Homecoming and Belonging. You can find out more about it at SebastianYounger.com. And you can find more information about creative forces at arts.gov. You've been listening to Artworks, produced at the National Endowment for the Arts. You can subscribe to Artworks wherever you get your podcasts. So please do, and leave us a rating on Apple. It does help people to find us. For the National Endowment for the Arts, I'm Josephine Reed. Thanks for listening.